Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I am joined by Jessica from Lextra, and this was a really great conversation around having a vegan, sustainable handbag brand. Jessica is the founder of Lextra, a vegan and sustainably-minded fashion accessories brand best known as a B Corp and for using innovative bio-based materials like Pinatex and Apple Skin. Prior to Lextra, Jessica founded Ethos, one of London's favorite meat-free restaurants. Jessica grew up in sunny Sydney, Australia, and I am very excited for you to dive into this episode. And before we dive into this episode, I wanted to quickly bring up that we only have four more spots to work with us on a sustainability consulting basis for the rest of this year. Once our spots are full, they're full and they are on a first come first serve basis. So if you need any help figuring out your sustainability strategy, building out a roadmap and helping source better materials as well as more ethical manufacturers, helping with any of the reporting and figuring out how you can communicate your efforts to your customers without coming across as greenwashing, book a complimentary consultation call with me and we can see if it's a fit to work together. To book the call, visit www.recloseted.com slash call or check the link in the show notes. And now let's dive into today's interview with Jessica. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Jessica. I am so excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in this lovely apartment. To get started, I always ask the same question. Can you please give us an overview of your career? So I, I'm Jessica. I grew up in Australia. I moved to Europe when I was 20 to France where I did my, finished my bachelor and then did my master's there. I was offered a job in Switzerland, so I moved to Switzerland for a few years. And then the sort of the, my real career, I guess, started when I became a vegetarian, well, vegan at the time. And this was in 2012 or 13, I think. And so basically crying at restaurants every night. <laughs> was like, okay, I know what I'm doing with my life now. So I moved from Geneva to London to start a vegetarian restaurant. I think I was, how old was I at that time? Like 25. And then it opened when I was 26. So no experience in restaurants, but I really cared. So I wanted to make a difference and show people without preaching that you could enjoy beautiful and like delicious meat-free food. I think we used the word meat-free at the time because vegan was just like too scary for people. (laughs) So that I did for a few years and then um, my business partner and I parted ways. So just be careful who you choose as your business partner. And uh, and then I started working on Luxtra um, at the start of 2017. So and I've been doing Luxtra ever since. And yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I think it's so cool to hear that you went from the food and restaurant industry to now the fashion industry, and it's just really inspiring to hear. I'm going to ask you more about that later on, but 
Before we dive in, I did want to ask you what the word sustainability means to you because there's so many definitions and it's really taking off right now. So I wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, it's, I think sustainability means not taking more than we can replenish in a, in a sort of a one sentence thing. Obviously, it's a huge and very gray and very vague term, which is possibly some of its downfall, maybe, or why it's so difficult to achieve, maybe. I would say that sustainability, in my view, sustainability isn't just about the planet. It's also like taking into consideration, you know, animal welfare and human sort of working conditions. I know that's not strictly the definition, but that's how I see it. It's sort of more of a holistic way of doing business or living life. Yes, I completely agree with that definition, and I couldn't have said it better myself. And going back to your journey, how did you go from the food industry to the fashion industry? What spurred that pivot and what did that look like? I think when I, I wasn't expecting to leave my restaurant, I thought I'd be there for a good 10 years. And after like three, three and a bit, I think, it, you know, when things don't go well with your co-founder or a business partner, it's, it's a painful time. I thought he would move on, but in the end it was me. So I thought, okay, right, completely new context now. I took a few months off. I thought I would take a year off, but already after three months, I was getting itchy feet. So I thought about lots of different ideas that I wanted to do. I tried to get a job, but I couldn't get a job. Or maybe I didn't try hard enough. And so some of the ideas I had, like I remember this mind map I made. One was about like cardboard packaging and like finding a way to make that more eco-friendly because when I had the restaurant, I was in a building that had H&M and Uniqlo on the other side. And every night you'd go into the loading bay and like the piles of cardboard boxes were just like enormous. And they had a compactor and it's like, oh, that's a real shame. So I was thinking, okay, that might be an industry to go into. I think I looked into it and it just seemed like just weird, just too hard. You need big resources, which I didn't have. And then I looked at sort of something about using latent uh, labor in the workforce. Like my father's an accountant, but now he's retired, but maybe he'd like to give back a little bit every so often, like once a week. Anyway, that was another idea. But then I focused on Luxstra because I could see myself doing it for a long period of time. And I've always, as a child, I wanted to be a fashion designer. So Luxstra, just to make, make it clear, is a um, sustainably minded accessories brand that uses vegan, so no animal products. Yes, I love it. And so with Luxstra, how can you say that you're sustainably minded? Yeah, I say sustainably minded because if you say sustainable, you're a sustainable brand. I mean, that's a big bar to, you know, jump over and we're not perfect by any means. So sustainably minded means that, you know, we take every every business decision I make, I think about how can we make this as eco-friendly or as kind or as fair as possible. So it's maybe the packaging. I make sure that we buy recycled and recyclable. We've started working with Repack, which is a circular packaging, you know, looking at the materials we use, which again, aren't perfect, but they're sort of the current generation and as good as it's good as it gets for now uh, sort of making sure we pay I've got one staff member at the moment and she's you know paid a little bit more than living wage I want to pay her a lot more but you know funds and um, being self self-funded makes we could just got to balance all these things and try and make a bit of money but so yeah that's sort of the way I feel about sustainably minded we're also a b corp so that's sort of I mean, everyone's becoming a B Corp these days, so I don't know how, how much it's going to set us apart anymore or like mean anything if every second business is a B Corp. Hopefully it sort of will still say, keep the same cachet and the same high standards. And in terms of vegan, your question about vegan. So all our materials are non-leather. There's no animal dyes or glues and like we make sure of these sorts of things. So that's a, that's a quite black and white one, if you like. 
Yeah, and I really like the positioning of being sustainably minded because as you know, I talk about this a lot, a truly sustainable brand doesn't exist. If you wanted to be truly sustainable, you wouldn't even start your business to begin with. Instead, it's a bit of a balancing act. And so you want to still be able to support yourself, your team, the members of your supply chain, but then at the same time, you want to ensure that your business activities doesn't have too much harm on the environment and on the planet. And so the name of the game is really a balancing act between the two. And so that's why I really like the positioning that you take with it and you take with your brand of being sustainably minded. And switching over to the vegan side of things, I did want to dive into the materials that you use. So can you talk a little bit more about that? I think that's probably what makes Luxra quite unique, even though the handbag or like accessories slash fashion market is so saturated. Luxra, we use Pinatex, we use Apple Skin, which is an apple-based leather cactus we've used, mango, testing out Miram, which is a completely plastic-free material. I think my cupboards are full of like so many different types of materials. <laughs> I've used a silicone-based material, which didn't really sell very well, but that's fine. Tried it. Yeah. So, I mean, the ones that I use most regularly are the Apple Skin, which is made in Italy, the Pinatex, which is from the Philippines, but finished in Spain, and then the Cactus. Oh, there's a recycled nylon as well. And with a lot of these materials, there's so much innovation in this space and durability is definitely in the conversation as well. So how have you found the durability of these newer materials, especially since you're producing accessories? I know you're not doing shoes quite yet, but even for handbags and for wallets, these are things that people are carrying heavy things in, they're using maybe on a daily basis. And so how have you found the durability? It's interesting because I do a lot of consulting as well and a lot of brands that are developing a material, you know, they're in startup mode or scale up mode and I'm, you know, I, I test their material a little bit or give my feedback and footwear is the one that's really hard to like that's that needs really high technical qualities whereas handbags yes needs high but it's the same you know it's not on the ground it's not like every like step that you walk so I think the materials are really durable okay if you're comparing it to a vegetable tanned leather which is you know leather the way you know animal skin is mother nature mother nature does things amazingly so leather is very durable i think comparing a vegan leather to a real leather it's not going to stand the same test of time i think maybe it's also about you know consumer education or or just talking to people and making sure you're not banging it around everywhere but maybe that's how people want to do it and who am i to say that they shouldn't be doing that <laughs> These materials have really high rub tests. So uh, a rub test is like this, there's something called a Martindale scale where, you know, you get something rough and you rub it with a machine. Maybe you've seen the Ikea sort of things, like how many times like you can sit down on this chair and those Martindale rubs are very high, like 50,000 cycles. The silicone one I mentioned was like 100,000 cycles, which is, you know, really high and is definitely call it industrial grade. Yeah, it's not like, there's like the different grades of residential grade, industrial grade, and like very low. So all of the materials that I work with are, are industrial grade and like can really perform over the years. And I wanted to see if you had any advice for startups because startup brands typically have limited funds and so it can be hard for them to meet minimums. But if they really want to work with these newer, innovative materials, do you have any tips for them? Yeah, some of the materials do have low minimums, some. I've just written an ebook about all of this. 
<laughs> little um, slide in self-promotion. The Pina Text, I know you can buy by the meter. Often some, some colors, some popular colors are out of stock every so often. But anyway, that's one that's available by the meter. You just pay the shipping on top. Apple Skin, I think you can buy 25, 30 meters. Maybe it's 50 per color, but still 50 is better than the 300 that they otherwise offer for specific colors. What else? Cactus, I think, is fairly reasonable. But then, of course, if it's coming from... Mexico. So if you have to ship it across the Atlantic, if you're based, if you're working in Europe or in the Far East, that's something to consider in terms of carbon footprint. I think as these businesses scale and grow, they are able to offer more to lower quantities. I know like Miram though, for example, the one I mentioned that's plastic free does have, you know, I think it's a good 1500 dollar minimum order size. So yeah, I would say that if you're in manufacturing, it's an expensive business. You know, you've got high upfront costs. That's the beauty of a service uh, industry job or or, or or business, which I probably would do next time around. <laughs> so yeah, just to caveat the startups, if you're creating a product, it is going to cost a pretty penny. I think these days, if your manufacturer is smart, they might be open to these things. But I remember in 2017, when I first was looking for manufacturers and talking to them, and I showed them Pinatex, which has like a really, it's like a felted knitted backing. They were like, oh my gosh, what is this? And they struggled. But they, so the manufacturer in particular, I'm thinking of, it's called Christian SRL in, in Florence. And, you know, they were willing nonetheless. I think maybe they thought at the time, like, okay, this is an interesting challenge. And now I think more and more manufacturers are like, okay, this is the way of the future. We need to get up to speed on this stuff. So I would hope that any manufacturer a company might be working with would be open to these sorts of things. And rather than just be like, oh, that's too hard, because it really is more and more companies are going this way. It's maybe not going to become the the dominant material for a little while, but it's definitely going to become a bigger piece of the pie. If you could share any tips, that would be greatly appreciated. So just if I'm starting out, definitely start small. I remember I was working with a consultant who was like, okay, you're going to need 50 50 units per SKU. And there was like 12 SKUs. And I was like, she's like, you're going to sell like six a week. I was like, what? No. Oh gosh. And I was like, no, Uh, like, really? Is she right? Should I? No. I just, my gut said no. And it's taken, you know, I think uh, I've been working on Luxor for around five years now and it's only now starting really to see regular sales. So it really takes a long time. This is, I'm, as I said, I'm self-funded. Maybe if you have a lot of investment, it would be, you know, you've got more marketing that you can add to the, to the mix and maybe drive sales more quickly. So yeah, my, my advice to any smaller business starting up in the manufacturing space would be go easy to start with. If you sell out, that's a wonderful problem to have. Um, Obviously lead times because there's supply chain issues around the world at present means that restocking quickly might be a bit difficult, but maybe that's a bridge to get to once you've crossed it. Yeah. And if you have to pick between the two scenarios, I always tell clients that it's so much better and so much easier to sell out and then figure out how you need to replenish your inventory versus sitting on so much inventory, not sure how you're going to sell it. And you're just stressed out about all this inventory you're sitting on, all the capital you just put in that you're potentially not going to get back. So it's so much easier and so much smarter for brands to err on the side of caution, especially when it comes to their inventory. Yeah, I remember I was looking at, because I'm about to do a trade show this week, and the last time I did a trade show was pre-pandemic. And like, I'm looking at the the prices in my um, digital wallet thing where people can check out. And I was like, oh my gosh, was I really selling that for 95 pounds when when originally it was like 300? Like, yeah. it shows the level of desperation there. 
And speaking of sales and marketing, I am curious what really has helped you get regular sales? Because right now we're in a weird time with the economy and I know a lot of slow fashion founders listening might be struggling as well. If you could share any tips, that would be greatly appreciated. From my, talking, speaking from my experience, I would say it's just being consistent. People ask me, how is Luxster going? And I'm always like, yeah, it's okay. Because I always want to be so much further ahead than where I am. Like, oh, by five years in, I thought I'd already be like, I don't know. So sales and marketing, I do a newsletter every week, which is not a salesy newsletter. And people really enjoy reading that. The way I see that is keeping top of mind mm-hmm. for people. So I'm not not trying to sell them things. Just like, here's what I think about. Here's, here's some information about fast fashion. Did you know that fast fashion actually came about because of some trade laws? Like that's what really enabled it. And, um, you know, have a really good open rate with that uh, and really good feedback. So that's one aspect. I've got the newsletter, then I've got paid advertising, which has you know, been a real, tried all sorts of things there. I think we're finally, unfortunately, paying Facebook or Meta because that's a way for a small brand to get in front of people. Not that I agree with them, their ethics. And I really, if there was an alternative to Facebook, I would Im- immediately switch. But if you're small, it doesn't really, you can't really play the market as you want. Trade shows or like consumer shows. So I said, should say consumer shows, like getting in front of people. If you're a direct-to-consumer brand, trade shows if you're a wholesale or B2B brand, consistently posting on Instagram, making content that's interesting rather than just being like, this bag is in black, buy it. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, adding something unique, I think, or have, making sure you have a strong USP, a unique selling point, I think would really help your brand. Because yeah. if you're in a saturated market like fashion, what's going to make you stand out? And so in terms of new products, how often do you release new pieces and how do you decide what you're going to release next? I listened to another consultant last year who said to order a lot of stock. And I was like, really? She's like, yes, yes, yes. And I thought, okay. So I ordered a lot of stock. So unfortunately, I'm in that situation now of sitting on a lot of stuff. So I'm in a bit of a bind as to, okay, should I try and like, do I discount this? Or like, do I sit on it and just like take the take the hit, but then invest in more? Like take the hit in terms of like, try it. It'll just take a long time to sell it if I'm selling it at full price. So currently, if I'd listened to my instinct and ordered a more moderate amount of stock, I would be developing more stock sooner more product sooner i want to do like a travel bag and there's some other sort of smaller items i want to make but at the moment i'm a little bit nervous to do that because i've got so much cash tied up in inventory but let's say next year (laughs) I'm, i'm not doing i don't play with the seasons i'm too small of a brand to be able to create a collection three times a year four times a year so it's more like a drop model and i also feel like for all new customers my product's still new You know, it's not like 40% of the globe has seen my tote bag already, therefore I need a new tote bag. It's like, it's actually still quite new for a lot of people. So as much as the fashion industry demands newness, it's also, you know, being trying to be sustainably minded means maybe there's a classic we just keep on full time and every so often there's some new stock. Not sure, I haven't really nailed that one yet. Yes, I completely agree because it's not like everyone in the world has seen your tote bags or your pieces. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go and make a new bag or a new product, especially if you haven't sold out your old one yet and it hasn't reached max capacity in terms of people being aware of it and people considering it and then buying it. And in the industry as a whole, we have such an overproduction issue. And so I really like your point of view of thinking about new markets or new ways to market an existing product versus always trying to innovate and bring in new things, even when it doesn't matter or won't really move the needle. And you mentioned this a little bit already, but there is that stressfulness associated with sitting on a huge amount of inventory. 
And so how are you managing that? Because I know there's a lot of founders going through the same thing, especially with COVID and consumers not buying as much. And then now with the economy as well. So how has that been? And potentially heading into a recession or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's scary, but uh, I guess it's, it's sold now. What am, what's, my, what's my approach? So my approach is go to this consumer fair, try and shift a bit of stock there by offering, you know, it's, it's, a, it's normal for brands to offer a discount at this consumer fair. So I will be offering nicer prices. So if, you, if anyone's coming to Spirit of Summer, it's probably by the time this goes live, it'll be over. But there's more coming for the rest of the year. Part of it is working out what's sensible. So, okay, Christmas is going to be a time of year where, what what are we now in? Um, June, Christmas will be here before we know it and everyone's starting Christmas promotions. So maybe I want some new items, new colors before the end of the year. But again, it's trying to to make it a balanced thing. The answer is I don't have a good answer. Yeah, and you have a plan, right? That's so key. You need to have a strategy, you need to have a plan. And then based on what's going on, you then need to pivot and adjust. But the first step is not to stick your head in the sand and actually develop a plan. So you're on the right track for sure. The life of a, a, a small business owner is like, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> I'm just going to figure it out as we yeah. go, try our best and like yeah. brainstorm and Yeah, and I have to say that I really appreciate you being so candid and vulnerable with this because at the end of the day, no one has it 100% figured out. No one really knows what they're doing. They may have guesses, they may have things that they're testing out, but at the end of the day, it's nice to hear that even someone that's been in business for five years, that's doing well, that's growing their business, sometimes they're still figuring it out as well. And for other small to medium-sized businesses, and even for larger businesses too, who quite frankly, based on some of the people that we've been talking to and interacting with, they also don't know what's going on sometimes. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, realize that social media is definitely a highlight reel. And so, yeah, I think it's just so nice to hear the candid, raw emotions of a slow fashion founder. And I think it's really appreciated because people will feel like they're not in this alone. And I know you alluded to this earlier in the episode about your experience with the co-founder, and I don't want you to go into it too much if you're not comfortable, but I am curious if you have any tips for finding a business partner or a co-founder now that you've gone through the experience and you might have some lessons you want to share. I only have the experience of it not working out, yeah. and that's the reason I'm doing business myself only this time around because I know I can count on myself. I would be wary of going into business with a friend. I honestly would. A, because I love my friends and I don't want to potentially have that relationship be destroyed. I think it's what you need to be able to, which is, it's hard to predict, but long term, you need to be on the same page for, you know, for years, potentially. Of course, you'll have your disagreements, but it's, you know, it's, you want to have the same values in life, maybe, or the same ambition. So maybe if you've known somebody for a while, it might help. I think going into business with somebody you've just met is, wow, that's, that's quite, that would scare me a lot. Yeah, I don't, I've seen, so I know people who have a very good um, working relationship. And I, when I asked them about it, they're, they're business partners, if you like, they said, you know, we, we often disagree on things, but there's a level of communi- communication there that makes it work. You know, they're both, these two people I'm thinking of in particular have, you know, they're both very ambitious. They both want more and they're quite diverse skill sets. Yes, that's right. One of them is very good at the sales thing. The other person is very technical. Yeah. So it's a nice, you know, a nice match. Yeah. And based on my experience with clients that have also been co-founders, I've really found that if two people 
have different strengths and they really focus on their strengths and they trust each other and they don't meddle in departments or roles that aren't theirs. And then on top of that, if they communicate all the time as well, that's when co-founders will be really successful. And so, yeah, communication is key just like any other relationship. And so now that you're doing this brand, Luxstra, on your own, how is that? And do you have any tips for solo founders? I like doing it on my own, to be honest. I, what I do is I surround myself by people I can ask questions of. So it's not like one mentor I have, although I have had one or two for continuous years, but then they've moved on. So it's like, okay, who's, who's my friend that or my contact that I know is really good at marketing? Okay, I'll talk to them about how I might go about my marketing. And it's what I've done probably is create and really put effort into networking and developing friends. I guess they are friends who are also running their own businesses, might yeah. also be solo founders, so you can just talk to them about it. So I, yeah, I talk to a lot of people about my business uh, and then sort of get different. Some people have very different opinions and you like, okay, that person doesn't quite understand. I will not take that advice. But it's, it's all good food for thought, I think. And just, you know, exercising because that gives you happy hormones and things and like... Yeah. There have been tough times. Uh, I've been very down at times. But I think when I'm on the verge of quitting, it's like, what would I do? Actually, there's nothing else I want to do in life. This is what I really do enjoy. So it's like those days you just take take the day off and be like, right, I'm going to do three things today. That's it. And that's a really good day. And then maybe have a nap or maybe go for a walk or maybe get a pedicure or, you know, a treat. Yes. At the end of the day, there's always ups and downs and every job is hard but you'd rather do something that you're building something for yourself you're passionate about it and I again like I love what I do it's not easy every day there's definitely challenges and roadblocks and I'm learning the most I've ever learned before and we're building the plane as we're flying it but honestly I wouldn't do anything else I don't think I could go back to working a nine-to-five I really think this is what I meant to do and entrepreneurship is what I'm what I'm really, really enjoying. So yeah, I'm totally with you. I honestly wouldn't do anything else as well. And switching gears, I wanted to ask if there are any innovations in the fashion industry that you're really excited about. I'd say that there's you know, Nicole and MII, uh, Material Innovation Initiative, they have, and I often go on their website to check out the latest. They have, they've got really good resources with basically a list of all the companies that are up and coming in this space. And also like it's called technology readiness readiness level. So it's like a one to five score. One is like at just concept stage and five you're at scale or you're you're commercialized. And, you know, you can see, oh, is that brand, where are they at? Can I actually get samples from them? Oh, they're at a two. No, they're not ready yet. So trying to say that there's like, I think that she said at the latest count, there's probably 80 brands, 80 companies in this space working to create new materials. And I think that's just so exciting. And to see like Miram had investment of 85 million a few months ago and wow, that's people are people are really taking the space seriously and there's a lot of investment and a lot of excitement. So that's probably what I'm most keen on that finally leather and cruelty to animals might be a thing of the past one day. I love that. And I'd like to quickly talk about what's next for Luxstra how you think about the future and how you think about scaling your brand because I know a lot of founders either feel guilty about the fact they want to scale because that also might mean that they're scaling their impact on the environment and the planet and then on the other hand I know some solo fashion founders that deep down really want to scale their business but they're almost afraid to admit it and then also not sure how to go about it so what are your thoughts around that and what are you doing to help scale and grow your business? 
Yeah, it's a really big dilemma. I, I think one of my mentors, Ilsa, has often said, you know, if you're small, then what impact are you going to have? Whereas maybe if you're bigger and maybe if I'm in control or I'm able to temper overproduction or you know really take a stand and that can be part of the brand story if you're at a bigger scale you're going to be able to have a bigger impact so that's when I'm doing the sort of running around in my head well no but the world doesn't need more stuff but then this but maybe it actually help and maybe people need a role model a little you know you go around and around and around where I'm at now is that I I do want to grow Luxtra I it's an ego thing as well I want to you know I see all I get very jealous when I see you know everyone on LinkedIn saying oh we just did this and oh we're launching this and aren't we great and I'm like oh I want that to be me (laughs) so there's definitely the ego part of it um, and wanting to prove myself but also doing something that I really love and maybe being able to maybe with time and, and, and investment or more funds down the track be able to do things even better and yeah. set a new standard so in terms of what's next is I am looking going to start looking for funding probably an angel round in the next maybe by the end of the year that would be nice um, because my personal situation has changed and I can no longer fund the business so that's that's the reason why I'm going yeah. into this so yeah that's hopefully what's next and growing Luxtra into a brand that will be well known around the world and also being able to really make show people that things can be done differently Yeah. And what I have to say about that is I mentioned it previously, but LinkedIn, social media in general, those are all highlight reels. And this is why we have this podcast to sit down with real self-fashion founders and other people in the industry and hear the raw, candid and vulnerable truths. And I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing all of this because we see so many highlight reels and it's really important for us to talk about the messiness, the challenges. And, you know, a few episodes back, I talked about the fact that we had to fire team members. We're having negative profit right now. And so there's a lot going on and it's not always success and sunshine and rainbows and that's okay. And I know you mentioned funding. How has that been? I know a lot of people are thinking of raising money right now. And so are you just starting out? So my, I've just moved in the past week. I've like, my life has been a little bit tipsy turvy. The trade show on Thursday starting. So it's like, okay, get all that done, settled. And then uh, I have some good people around me who are going to help me sort of, what are the, what are the numbers? What can we say about Luxtra? Like, how can we show projections, help me create the deck, and then I'll go out. Hopefully, I mean, August is going to be maybe not the best time to do that, but at least I can get started. Yeah, Yeah. so that's that's next. It'll it'll be a learning curve, and I like learning, let's say that. I know I've been in my comfort zone for the past few years, so it's like, okay, this is the next. Because I did try to raise money in 2019, and that was quite painful, lots of no's. So this is just round two. Yeah, and what I have to say about funding in general as well is the economy is definitely fluctuating right now. And I do know a few people that are trying to time when they're trying to raise money. But if you need money, you need money. So don't be discouraged about trying to raise money during a recession. The money is still there and it always has been there. If anything, I think it's just a reallocation of where the money is going. Because where the money was going before, kind of in crypto and tech, all those things, the bubble is bursting, if you will, and we'll see what happens. I'm not going to speculate, but I've heard so many conversations and personally been in a lot of rooms and conversations where sustainable finance is really top of mind and it's becoming a big thing. So if you're a sustainably minded company, as many of you are, I really think there's still so much opportunity and so much funding out there for you. So really don't let this recession discourage you. 
And wrapping up, but how can everyone stay in touch with you? How can people support you? Drop all your links. So we're luxtralondon.com at on Instagram at luxtralondon. My email address is jk at luxtralondon.com. And yeah, those are the best ways to keep in touch. A follow would be great on Instagram. Thank you. Amazing. We will have everything linked in the show notes. And it's been so great to sit down with you, Jessica. Thank you so much for being so candid and honest on our podcast. It's really appreciated. And I know folks are going to get a lot out of it. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories, and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted Radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.